0: Our second lesson today comes from the Gospel according to John. This is the Easter story from the Gospel of John from chapter 20. I'm reading the first 18 verses. We open our hearts. We keep listening. Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the tomb. Then the disciples returned to their homes. But Mary stood weeping outside the tomb, and as she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb, and she saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had been lying, one at the head and the other at the feet. They said to Mary, Woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, They have taken away my Lord, and I do not know Where they have laid him. When she had said this, she turned round and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? For whom are you looking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary... She turned and said to him in Hebrew, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said to her, Do not hold on to me, because I have not yet ascended to the Father, but go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord, and she told them that he had said these things to her. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. You know, we try to celebrate Easter every Sunday when we gather as God's people. We do. That's what it means to be Christians. We gather every week and celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ, our, our Lord. We celebrate God's presence among us. We celebrate God's victory over evil and death. And we try to do this every week. But we also know that Easter Day is indeed the highlight of the year. Perhaps the one highest day for all of us as people of faith. And today, today all across the globe, all around in languages that we can't even imagine, people are saying, Christ is risen. In grass huts and in towering cathedrals, in prison chapels and in storefront churches, the message is the same. It's This is Easter and we celebrate this truth. So you might be thinking that with all this going on and this happening all around the world and flowers and banners and music and choir that this is the greatest day to be a preacher, right? You might be thinking that. But I have a confession to make. While I love being a preacher and while I love being your preacher on this day, here's my honest confession. This may be the hardest day to be a preacher. Because everyone knows what's going to be said. Today in music and in prayers in affirmations and in sermon... In all the symbols around us, it's about the resurrection of Jesus. And ostensibly, everybody knows how the story goes Christ is risen. Christ is risen indeed. So here's what I want to do today I want to move from what of the Easter message to the why of the Easter message. Why? Why, after 2,000 years, do bright, well-educated people still proclaim the news as so wonderful and true and pertinent for our lives? Why would we strive to become people who indeed live out the resurrection? Why might this Easter story move us and move our world closer to what God would have us be and do? Why does this news, this resurrection news, why does it really matter to you and to me and to the world today? Well, the first thing to say about this why has not to do with what happened on that Easter morning when Mary went to the tomb, but what was happening on the first morning ever. Our Christian faith says that life is not an accident. Our Christian faith affirms that In and under and through all things, our lives and everything about the world, God offers direction and purpose and meaning. Well, in these modern days, we know a lot about the universe that we live in. Physicists tend to agree that the universe came into being about 15 billion years ago. That's a long time ago. 15 billion years. It came into being with a big bang of hot soup of... Quarks and gluons and leptons. And in that amazing beginning long ago, within the first millisecond, the first millisecond of that Big Bang, there has always been an amazing symmetry, an amazing balance between gravity, the primary force at work, and the expansive nature of the universe. This balance This symmetry have kept the universe from exploding outward too far and also from imploding inward on itself. Theologian and physicist John Polkinghorne reminds us that had the formulas been off just a tiny, tiny fraction, there's no way that the universe would have emerged or evolved as it did. So we could talk a great deal about when these things happened or what followed what in the sequence, but the real important question is the who. None of this makes sense without a creator. Something does not emerge out of nothing. The universe and human life is not an accident, not a chance event. But the result of God's gracious act of creation. It all depends on and it all begins with the living God. That means that in and through and under our lives, the world has a purpose. And our lives have a purpose that are grounded, rooted in God, the creator of all. You heard the opening words of the Bible read a moment ago. In the beginning, God. Second, if life comes from God, if life originates in God and is grounded in God, life intends then to go in a certain direction. Life has a certain focus to it. We cannot just live however we want, doing what we want. We are created, we are called to live a certain way. We cannot just muddle through. We cannot just eat and drink and tend to our reptilian ways, which would be about selfishness and selfish gain alone. No, our lives have a larger purpose made by the maker of the universe. We're invited to live in relationship with our maker and with one another. This is what the whole story of the Bible is about. All the pages of this big book with all the little books making up this big book. It's about people trying to live life with God and with God's people in the world. I got my weekly copy of the Newsweek magazine in the mail on Tuesday. On the front cover was a depiction of a man. A kind of combination of a first century Jesus, because he had a beard and he had a crown of thorns around his head, and a modern Jesus, because he was standing in a shirt and a jacket, and he was standing in the middle of New York City, surrounded by lights and taxicabs. And the headline announced a major article in this week's Newsweek, and it's by commentator Andrew Sullivan, and it says, Forget the church, follow Jesus. Sullivan's points have some merit. The church, through the ages, has not done the best job of helping people live life with God and with God's people. The church has participated in crusades and inquisitions. The church has been oppressive and exclusive. Sullivan says politics and priests and get-rich evangelists have corrupted Christianity. Even lately, he says, many in the church have obsessed about others' sex lives, about who's entitled to civil marriage, and about who pays for birth control in health insurance. Moreover, he says, issues like the world's poverty and the inequality and economic disparity that we can see in our city and all across the globe, and even the torture institutionalized by governments after 9 11 all of that has attracted far less attention see made by the maker we're invited to live life in relationship to the maker and to one another and this is really what the whole Bible is about and how often how often we get it wrong chasing after other things following our own intentions, getting lost in politics and power grabs and poor choices about what's important to God and what's important living as God's people. Following Jesus would get us back into life with God and for God, especially as we seek to love God and serve God in the church. This is our calling And then when we really follow Jesus, we might find ourselves where Mary found herself on that early morning, the first Easter. See, Mary had spent a lot of her life listening to and learning from and following Jesus. And it says, early in the morning, on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb of Jesus. You probably know there are four different versions of this Easter story in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And there's some discrepancy in these four stories. Like who among the disciples was first to get to the tomb on Easter? And what about the angels? Was there one angel or two angels? Or was it white light? Or was it an earthquake? Or were the linens actually wrapped up or not? Or were they there at all? And who said what? To whom? There's a lot of discrepancy in these stories. We tend to say these details are not the essential elements. The essential point remains consistent in all four stories. God raised Jesus from the dead. The tomb was empty. And Jesus appeared to his followers after his death in a form that could be seen and heard and touched. That's the essential Easter message. But the story starts where we often find ourselves. It says Mary stood weeping, weeping outside the tomb. As she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb, it says, and she saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had been lying. And the angels asked Mary, Woman, why are you weeping? We can answer that question, I think. Why was she weeping? I think she was weeping because this one whom she loved and followed was now gone. She was weeping because he was gentle and full of love. And they hung him on a cross. She was weeping because Jesus treated Mary with respect. And grace. And they pierced his hands with nails and his feet with nails, which pierced her heart. She was weeping because his teachings pointed a way to God a way that made sense, a way that wasn't superstitious, a way that wasn't mean spirited or wasn't shallow. His teachings and life brought wholeness to her and to those whom she knew. Most of you know something about this weeping. You do. I do. When our eyes are full of tears, we don't see very well, and we don't think very clearly. And as this scene unfolds, Jesus himself appeared behind Mary and asked again, Woman, why are you weeping? Supposing him to be the gardener because her vision was clouded by her tears and her heart was broken by what had happened, Mary's frustration seems to be coming out. Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where he is and I'll take him. All she wanted to do was care for her beloved friend. She was not thinking about faith. She was not thinking about life, really. She knew too well about brutality and death. It had come really close to her. All she wanted was to wash his limbs. All she wanted was to comb his hair. All she wanted was to rub some ointment on his skin. And all of this would make her feel just a little bit better. It was all an activity of her grief. But look what happened. Look at what happened in a voice that Mary thought was gone forever. And in a tone that Mary thought she would never hear again. Jesus said, Mary. And in that moment, everything changed. Everything shifted. The brutality and the killing of Good Friday had not finally killed Jesus. The evil and the meanness and the mocking crowds yelling crucify him and the guards dividing up his clothes, that did not prevail. The really stinging pain of death, it does not hold. And look what happened to Mary. Mary who heard her name called by her Lord Jesus Mary ran off to find the other disciples to tell them to come out of their fear-driven lives and understand also what had happened, to get out of their brokenness and realize what's going on. She ran off to tell the others that hope had conquered. There was this life-changing news. Guess what? She said, I have seen the Lord. Guess what? Death does not win. Guess what? It's not about easy answers, but it's about hope. Guess what? It's not about dogma. It's about life. It's about God. Guess what? God. God is stronger and more present than we had ever imagined. That's the Easter story. And here's why this Easter story matters. Here's why it's really important for you and me today for this week and this season and this church and this city and this life of ours. When you find yourself weeping and you can't see very well or you can't think very clearly, God... Is calling your name in a voice that you've heard before. And in a tone that you know deep in your heart. Comforts you and redirects your life. That voice says loss and pain may be part of life. But they don't have the last word. That voice says evil and destructive forces can be powerful. But they don't get the final say. That voice says, "Broken and brokenness and brutality may come your way and my way and our way together. And it may be something about regrets that we carry around or it may be something about sleepless nights that nag at us or it may be about our loves or our lost loves or about our children or something else. But in all of this, The message is this hurt, this pain may feel overwhelming and overbearing at times but through our tears, like Mary we are given a glimpse of new reality. Life is about more than loss. Death does not win. Cancer does not claim us or our loved ones finally. Indeed, nothing can separate us From God's love in Christ Jesus our Lord. See, the one who creates the world also redeems the world and all things about the world. Including our lives. The one who gives us life in the beginning of time also gives us life in the resurrection of Jesus. And this Easter news intends to alter our lives forever. How we live how we love and how we serve. I recently came upon a powerful and helpful poem about our perception and about our perspectives. For me, this speaks not only about the what of Easter, but the why of Easter, why it's important, why we can live and love in this Easter message. Listen, these words come from Scottish theologian and poet John Bell. I never wanted to be born. The older I grew, the fonder I became of my mother's womb and its warmth and its safety. I feared the unknown, the next world about which I knew nothing but imagined the worst. Yet as I grew older, I sensed in my soul that the womb was not my home forever. Though I did not know when, I felt sure that one day I would disappear through the door which had yet to be opened and confront the unknown of which I was so afraid. And then it happened. In blood and tears and pain, it happened. I was cut off from the familiar. I left my life behind and discovered not darkness but light. Not hostility but love. Not eternal separation but hands that wanted to hold me. I never wanted to be born. I don't want to die. The older I grow, the fonder I become of this world and its warmth. And it's safety. I fear the unknown. The next world. About which I know nothing but imagine the worst. Yet as I grow older. I sense in my soul that this world is not my home forever. Though I do not know when. I feel that one day I will disappear through a door. Which has yet to be opened. Perhaps having come so safely through the first door, I should not fear so hopelessly the second. Friends, Christ is risen. risen And in this Easter news, we live. Indeed, this Easter news wants to alter forever how we live and how we love. And how we serve. How will you live this Easter news? Who will you tell? Christ is risen indeed. Alleluia. Amen. Let us pray. We believe, O God, help our unbelief and fill us with hope and love and service following Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen.